Is there a recovery in a record state budget? I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org, my broadcast partner and brother in crime. Ben Max is off tonight. He's from GothamGazette.com, but they have him working too hard, so he needed the night off. But we'll be talking tonight about this record state budget that is being passed as we speak in pieces, as is traditionally the case in Albany, a budget that answers a lot of questions about not just where the money's going, but where the power is in Albany, uh, new provisions for people who were excluded from federal relief around COVID, new provisions for renters and landlords who we've talked about a lot of the show being uniquely affected by this crisis, um, stuff on education, on gaming, on taxes to get through. And so we'll have two people to talk about what's happening in Albany and how that connects not just to human needs here in the city, but to other political events ongoing, including Governor Cuomo's multifaceted scandal and potential impeachment crisis, and obviously the 2021 mayoral race that we talk about so much here on Max and Murphy. So we'll have Senator Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx on to discuss the Albany perspective. He was very involved in many elements of the budget, including voting on it, but especially negotiating the creation of the uh, Excluded Worker Fund. And then we'll have Emerita Torres, who is a vice president of policy research and advocacy at the Community Service Society of New York. She'll be talking about how that budget and how the federal relief package that preceded it connect to need here in New York City, um, how they do address needs, how they fall short, and how they connect to work that CSS has done for many years at trying to elevate the voices of New York's unheard third, the one-third, give or take, of the city that is considered working poor. People who live in or close to poverty often have uh, much quieter voices, um, not at their own volition, but because of the way the system works uh, in our political system. And so they've always tried to elevate them and uh, survey them and build their advocacy around mayoral campaigns on what that section of New York wants to see happen. So we'll talk about that. We're very happy to welcome Senator Gustavo Rivera, who is a Democrat representing the 33rd District in the Bronx, and he's the chairman of the Senate's Committee on Health. Senator Rivera, welcome back to Max and Murphy. Good afternoon. It is a pleasure to be here. And I will tell you ahead of time, I am on the downward spiral of a lot of Starbucks and Red Bull that I had to consume to make sure I did not fall asleep driving down from Albany to the Bronx. So, All right, so if you burst into tears or nod off, we'll we'll understand and, exactly. and it will be excused. We'll, we'll get that out of the way. And, and frankly, I've not had any of those substances, but if I start crying or fall asleep, I expect to have some. You know, I, some I will try well. to talk you down, brother. I will do my best. Thank you. We're going to get through this together, Senator. So uh, tell us, first of all, uh, your overall take. It's it's obviously a huge document, huge dollar signs next to it. What's your overall take on the budget that you guys in Albany are, are passing as we speak? So so last night as I sat on my desk uh, reading, you know, we, we usually put out a statement, uh, you know, every office does talking about the things that we're able to achieve, et cetera. And I'm looking at the document and I'm proofreading it. I had to call my chief of staff in and say to her, we did all this stuff too uh, because there most of the focus i've been paying a lot of attention to the health budget i paid a lot of attention to the revenue conversation as well as excluded workers and there were a whole a bunch of other areas that i trusted my colleagues to to carry uh, to carry and, and and be able to negotiate and i will tell you it is the more i look at it the more i think the more i, I realize how historic a moment this is uh, you know in, in every area that you look uh, i think that this is an, an incredible achievement that is a result of a united democratic conference that recognized that we needed to do a lot for New Yorkers uh, and, and every corner of the state. And, and, you know, we'll definitely talk about it, but I am just 
I am I am incredibly proud of our conference and incredibly proud of our leader. We have a historic document here. I'm incredibly I'm ecstatic about it. Let me stay on that theme for a second because that's something I'm curious about. It obviously is a historic document. Do you think that it is a do you think that it fundamentally changes the trajectory of New York state government going forward? Or is, in other words, is, is some of this change baselined? Or is this a kind of one-time, very special circumstances with the pandemic and the federal aid coming in where you were able to do a lot of really cool stuff? What, what I would say is that I believe it is a turning point. Uh, there is a you know, I've been in the. I, I sometimes I don't like to remind myself, and I, uh, and I tell my younger colleagues to stay off my lawn. But I have been in the legislature <laughs> for eleven years, uh, and I was uh, along with a couple of my colleagues who are still here uh, in, in the Senate, um, in the minority for a while, and we've been pushing in this direction. Many of the conversations that we had, and the successes that we were able to achieve, were things that we have been talking about and trying to change for years. So I would say that I believe this is a turning point. Uh, I think that it is uh, it is a demonstration. We will, these programs, as they unfurl, as we make sure that what we were able, the benefits that we were able to create and the, the things that we were able to do for New Yorkers, we're able to connect people to, uh, to everything that this budget does for them in every corner of the state. It will only become clearer to New Yorkers that they made the right choice by having us as a majority, um, that we, are, we take that very seriously uh, in every corner of the state, uh, and, and we will, you know, I, I, I do believe that this is a turning point for the state, and I'm, and I'm hoping that we can just move forward. So the Excluded Workers Fund is something that got a lot of attention as the budget approached and, and certainly as we moved to the 11th hour, or I guess past the 11th hour, um, a, a, an interesting development, the certainly one you were very, hour, very, yes. very uh, involved in. Can you talk about that fund and, and exactly how it will work? What What is in the budget when it comes to excluded workers? Well, I will, I will tell you that, that I will, on the details, I, I will tell you that you need to have Jessica Ramos on uh, from my colleague who was deeply involved in all the details of it. And I, and I, I give her a lot of credit on the latest, uh, definitely for the advocates that fought for this. But what the, what the, goal, the goal of it is, is to provide a one-time unemployment benefit to workers who, have, who lost employment or income during the pandemic but were ineligible. This is why they were excluded from unemployment insurance or other federal benefits uh, such as stimulus payments. And this is something that's going to have an immediate uh, impact across our state because excluded workers are in every community across the state. And, and, and let's be clear about what's happening here. This is a direct economic impact that we will have a positive economic impact that it will have all across our state. These excluded workers are going to use this money to be able to, you know, pay for food, to pay their rent, to to buy clothing, to do the basic things that create economic activity. So it will have, you know, a, a direct impact on their lives and a direct impact on the on the communities that they are. And and it'll 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 also is going to people who pay into our tax system and have not gotten any help during this pandemic. So despite all of the fear mongering and, and all the frankly dehumanizing rhetoric from the other side about the excluded workers fund, this is about this is about New Yorkers and we are helping New Yorkers and, and I'm incredibly proud of what we are able to achieve with it. And excluded you ex, sorry, excluded New Yorkers, is that synonymous with undocumented immigrants or are there other categories of New Yorkers who may have been left out of the federal stimulus payments that this program would help? 
well, it definitely includes undocumented uh, undocumented people, but it will people that are uh, basically the uh, the issue here is whether someone was ineligible for unemployment insurance or other federal benefits such as the stimulus payments. Uh, they will uh, they will have to go through a process where it, it will be uh, the the program will be administered by the Department of Labor, uh, and they and applicants have to be able to verify uh, identity and residency and, and, and work related eligibility. Uh, and and it was, it's based. It basically the plan. The plan. Uh, the program is based on the ability to demonstrate work-related eligibility, and the applicants have to be able, may be able to qualify for one or two different benefit tiers. But but I will tell you that that again, the the deep uh, details of the of the of the plan are definitely more uh, more well known by Senator Ramos. But but I will tell you that for me, uh, these are uh, thousands of New Yorkers because these these folks are New Yorkers. Uh, so many of them may be undocumented, but they're still our neighbors. They're still our friends. They're still our our, our family members. And uh, in many instances, they were folks who actually, who, who, who through blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> give to the communities that they live in, and and yet did not receive any benefits. So I think it is a positive thing. I'm incredibly proud that we were able to to get it done. Uh, and again, it's just one of the ways that we show how the state moves forward. Now, I know in the run-up to the passage of the budget, you exchanged some um, difficult words with some of your fellow Democrats about the Excluded Workers Fund. You mentioned earlier that there's been some fear-mongering around it. The state GOP chair, Nick Langworthy, was out earlier today talking about a $25,000 payment to, uh, it, to use his term, illegal immigrants, uh, not a term we choose to use. Um, the people who you were talking to and the people who you were speaking with in Albany – uh, was the skepticism on this all about sort of fear mongering or racism, or do you feel there are some um, I don't know legitimate questions about program structure and just and just the worry of of I guess the optics of it emerging in the New York Post in two years' time that you know somebody who was not supposed to get the payment got it? Was there anything legit to people's concerns? I think some concerns were legitimate and some concerns were not. Uh, it was uh, there was a point where I felt that there was some that there was uh, some of this fear mongering was kind of capturing the imagination of some of our colleagues and and many of the conversations about what the structure of it was going to be was going in a direction that was going to preclude access to exactly the people that we want to, who we want to. Uh, to to create it for because they've had access to nothing else, but but at the end of the day, it is the proof is in the pudding. At the end of the day, is whether this goes into effect. We managed to to negotiate a version, uh, and again, I'll point to Senator Ramos, who was instrumental in this, as well as our senior staff and and our and our leader, obviously leading the pack here. Uh, but we were able to negotiate a version which um, which achieved the things that we needed to achieve, um, and nothing is perfect. <laughs> there is no version of this that is that is perfect for everyone. But I do believe that we did something that we were able we were able to achieve something. We passed it out of the Senate, um, as as they might be debating in the Assembly at this very moment. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I was driving, and then I've been on, on the calls for calls for a little bit, so I don't know. They might still be in the middle of it. But once this goes into effect, it will be voted out of the. Assembly. Assembly and signed to law by the governor. You know, you can we can disagree yesterday, and if we you know come together, sometimes clash a little bit, but we come to an agreement and we get to something today, and we're on the same page today. I'm going to shake my hand and say, let's work together to get, again tomorrow. One of the big elements of the budget, I'm sure, that's of concern to many of your constituents is the rent relief that is in there, and that's obviously fueled by some federal money. Um, it is uh, a 
feature that will allow people to get many months of back rent and even some uh, kind of forward projected rent relief. We've been talking basically since this crisis started, Senator, about the potential eviction crisis that's looming. And it's kind of hung over all of us like a sort of Damocles, this rent debt that was building up over time. Um, yes. And that as long as we had a moratorium in place was held off, but certainly was only growing in its size and its threat to working families in your district and others. When you think about that potential crisis, that problem that has been lurking out there, how much do you think the budget and the rent relief features within it solve that problem? How much do they basically uh, erase the crisis that could occur once the eviction ban is lift? Or is there a lot more work to do? There is certainly a lot more work to do, and, and on this one, I will also point to my. I will also point to another one of my colleagues, namely Senator Kavanaugh, who is our chair of the Housing Committee, who was deeply involved in negotiating these. Uh, uh, but I will say that that it is that there is much to do. But we what we did what we managed to do in the state budget. First of all, we provide two point four billion dollars in COVID nineteen emergency rental assistance program. That is within twelve months, uh, and we and we know that that is going to be a a, a tough. Slog, but we are committed to working along with the with the administration to make sure that we can move that money into the hands of people who need it. We also have a, a we also got a hundred million dollars to convert uh, hotel and vacant properties into affordable housing. Uh, we have uh, we were able to secure uh, I believe it's about six hundred million in, in homeowner assistance, uh, including uh, twenty million a year for for um, uh, something called HOPP for the next three years. Uh, we we did get two hundred million for NYCHA. I believe that we need a lot more than that for public housing here in the state in the city of New York. Um, we got one hundred twenty five million for public housing across the New York State, but but two hundred for for NYCHA, which is the New York City Housing Authority. So all of these things are are part of what we need to do. And I also remind you and, and your and your listeners back in two thousand nineteen. It was this majority that passed the strongest housing and tenant protections in the history of New York State. Uh, but but the pandemic certainly demonstrated how how thin a line that is between people uh, having a home and, and, and being and, and not having a home. So we're so there's much to do. Uh, uh, but I do believe that that this moves the ball forward. And again, it's one of the things that that uh, that I believe makes this one of the best, certainly the best budget I've seen. And I voted on in the entire time that I've been in the Senate. I know health is obviously because you're the chairman of that committee and, and committed to that issue. Personally, health is sort of the big thing for you. What in the budget stands out on the health front that you're particularly proud of? I believe that, first of all, we were able to push back most uh, of the of the cuts that the executive insisted uh, needed to happen. I have been on a constant fight with the executive over the last couple of years, and certainly since I've been the chair of the health committee, and saying that uh, that austerity for health for our healthcare system for for Medicaid patients is just not the way to go. Last year, I probably rem- remind you, or you'll probably be reminded of the whole battle that we had around Medicaid redesign team and the cuts that the executive insisted that go forward. We were able to push back, uh, not on the cuts from last year, but the ones that the governor insisted to do this year. We managed to push back on so much we uh you know we uh, reduce health care costs for low-income new yorkers uh, by uh, eliminating essential plan premiums and, and out-of-pocket expenses including dental and vision benefits by the way which is something that we had not done we had been able to do before we'll also we took uh, i think it was just over 400 400 i think it's 415 million in medicaid in proposed medicaid cuts for hospitals and health care providers uh you know we were able to uh, achieve a uh, um 
a delay in a pharmacy carve-out that would have impacted safety net hospitals and federally qualified health centers and, and Ryan White providers that provide services for HIV patients, for HIV positive patients. We were able to push back on that. Uh, it is a delay that's two years uh, to make sure that we can, that they can continue to avail themselves of a program, uh, a federal program called 340B that gives them savings that they use to provide wraparound services to vulnerable populations. Uh, I mean, there is there is a lot that we were able to achieve in the health or in the health arena, um, and so I'm I'm you know and, I, and I'm certainly compared to actually was my colleague in the assembly, Dick Gottfried, who said that it is the first budget that he can recall in which uh, we might not have been able to do the best, but we did nothing bad in the health budget. It's like we did good things and smaller good things, but nothing bad, and I would have to agree with him on that. How do you feel about the the kind of split of the ticket that the budget engineered on gaming in New York State, approving online sports wagering, deciding not to move forward with the fast track of casinos in the New York City area? How do you feel about that? Any any social concerns about online gambling? Any worries about money being left on the table by not going the casino route? What's your take on the gaming stuff? Well, the first thing is that I will do again, once as I did before, I will point to one of my colleagues, Joe Adabo from Queens, who is our chair of uh, racing, gaming, and wagering, who was the uh, who was the, the the lead negotiator on all of this, who has been fighting to get uh, to have these things happen. Look, I've I've uh, I've always felt I, I haven't had a strong I don't have a strong. Uh, you know, opposition to, to gaming uh, or to gambling. Uh, I'm not a gambling person myself. I certainly know that we need to provide protections for for gambling addiction, etc. But I, I do think that you know, within the confines of uh, of a of, uh, of, of, of a structure in which it provides some some money for educational expenses in the state of New York uh, and provides uh, economic opportunity for, and as far as jobs for people who work in casinos and racinos, etc. across the state. Uh, so on the revenue side and on the economic and in, in the limited economic development impact that it has, I've, I've been, you know, I've been a supporter of it. Um, but it is not one thing that I've had like an enormous, uh, you know, impact on because the negotiator has been Joe Adabo and, and not something that I've had a, a strong opinion on publicly before. So the millionaire's tax, obviously another headline item. On this one, um, I'll have a strong opinion. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> uh, so obviously uh, it's it's something people have talked about for, for, for years and, and for certainly since COVID hit for many, many months and it's happening. I guess one question is, is it – is it temporary? Is this something that will lapse once the pandemic crisis has gone? Should it be temporary? And, and you know, the concern, obviously, which by now I know you'll be able to hit out of the park, but that this will drive wealthier people from the state and hurt the state's ability to recoup revenue because it makes New York's combined state and local taxes the highest in the nation. And it appears President Biden has no real appetite to um, prioritize reversing the changes Trump made to the state and local tax deductions. So what do you think about its permanence or temporary status? And what do you think about the argument that it could be uh, hurtful to our competitive state to state? Uh, on that last on that last bit, I will say bullpucky. But let me make <laughs> let me start by saying this. Uh, let me just be very clear on this. If you are a New Yorker who does not make millions or billions of dollars 
was not worth millions or billions of dollars, these changes will not impact you. So working class people, middle class people, these this does not impact you. And the reason it doesn't impact you, ladies and gentlemen, is because we know in the Democratic conference, we know how seriously this this pandemic has impacted you, your families, and your communities. But we know that to be able to provide you, working class New Yorkers, middle class New Yorkers across the state, with the support that you need in your education system, in your healthcare system, in your uh, transportation system, and other resources, we need revenue. And that means that millionaires and billionaires need to pay their fair share because I'll remind your listeners and working class and, and, and then poor New Yorkers and middle class New Yorkers that these folks got wealthier during the pandemic. So the changes that we made, and I will tell you this, $4.5 billion in new revenue when the governor came to the table saying that because we got federal money, he didn't want a single cent on top of that. That shows you the commitment of our conference to make sure that we not only get the resources that we need for working class New Yorkers, middle class New Yorkers, uh, and and poor New Yorkers, uh, but also uh, can tell you that this is just the first step in making sure that we can have money that we can re- we can invest in our New York. What gives us, what we, what we do to create prosperity for the entire state is having revenue from those wealthy folks so that we can provide resources for the rest of New Yorkers. So as far as uh, I believe that most of these taxes have an expiration date, which we shall revisit when we get to there. Um, but, but I can tell you that, that this, that these changes go a, have a very, this is a very good start because again, what we need is money to invest in our New York because the things that give us prosperity as a state is to provide more money and resources for our education system, which we were able also historic gains in our education funding, uh, on our housing infrastructure, on our roads and our bridges, on our healthcare system, and that is what this revenue will be used for. It strikes me there are three things that were different about this budget from others that you have voted on and certainly before your time in Albany. One is that it comes in the midst of a massive pandemic. The second is that Democrats now have a supermajority in the New York State Senate. And the third, obviously, is that Governor Cuomo is beset by scandals of various different types. What I've heard this last bit, you, yes. Yeah, you've I heard her tell it, I'm sure. Uh, what impact did that last part, the governor's, I guess, crisis, his his controversies he's facing, the potential impeachment that he, he might be encountering, what impact did that have on the budget process? Well, I'll tell you, it, it's possible that what the governor was trying to do was change the subject from what we, from what many of us know uh, about this person is that he does not deserve to be in public office. I have already been very public about this. Uh, I believe that he should resign. And if not, we should move forward with impeachment. I think that his uh, I've known for years that his deeply toxic style of leadership does not lead to good governance. And whether it's the credible allegations of sexual harassment, whether it is the concerns about changing numbers uh, in reports on, on nursing home deaths, whether uh, whether it's this uh, this report uh, about special treatment to VIPs and his family members during the height of the pandemic, all of these things, uh, I believe, uh, demonstrate someone that should not be in public office. And it is likely, uh, you know, that that he that this led to some of the decisions that he made during this uh, during this budget process. But look, ultimately, 
the reason why the Democratic conference brought these positions forward is because we wanted to achieve all of these things that we've talked about today, whether it was health care or whether it was education or, you know, or whether it was housing or what have you. Uh, any every one of these things we did, uh, we, we took that position because we believe we are convinced that these things will move different parts of the state forward. This would impact New Yorkers all across the state uh, in every corner of the state in a positive way. And so whether it was because the governor wanted to change uh, the subject from his ongoing uh, daily scandals or because he, I don't know, uh, got a heart and recognized that all these things needed to happen because New Yorkers are struggling and they needed these things in policy to change their lives in a positive way. Um, I am good either way. Sign it into law, sir. uh, And then uh, let's move on. And a final question on that same theme. The Assembly is obviously in charge of doing the impeachment inquiry. Uh, they have uh, contracted with a law firm to do that. Some questions were raised about connections between that law firm and the governor. Are you confident that the Assembly inquiry will get to the truth that the Senate needs to make decisions about the governor's future? Do you have full confidence in what the Speaker has set up in the way of an investigation on the assembly side? I'm certainly concerned about some of the connections of that law firm. It's not as if not there are as if there aren't dozens, if not hundreds of law firms that had a level of expertise, which would have been uh, better suited, uh, not only because they might have had more expertise in the type of uh, in the type of investigation that is necessary here to determine Uh, to determine all the facts, but also because there wouldn't be any questions. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of law firms in which no question would have been asked uh, about the potential inappropriate connections between some of the people involved in the administration and the law firm. So look, I call on my assembly colleagues. We, we, We had a budget to do, and that was incredibly important. Uh, but let's not, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that we still have someone in power who many of us very strongly believe does not need to be there. And very quickly on the issue of, quote unquote, due process, which some of my colleagues seem to repeat, not many, thankfully, but some of them. This is precisely what an impeachment process is, due process. But it needs to be done in a timely fashion, because the more that we uh, the more that we that we dally, uh, you know, the more that we uh, that don't move forward, um, this is a person that will continue to make decisions to make himself look better. Uh, it is my sense, and not necessarily to solve New Yorkers' problems. So uh, let's uh, we get we get the budget done, then let's move forward on impeachment. Well, Senator Gustavo Rivera coming down from a major Starbucks and Red Bull High, still joining us. Yes, indeed, I, indeed and I we appreciate that so much. Please uh, have a good night and come back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Be well.